The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to Christ. Please be seated.
Now will you pray with me? Gracious God, for these gifts we give you thanks. That you gave your son to us. And that in his being lifted up, we see the fullness of your glory. Come to us now in this place. Make his glory present among us through your Holy Spirit. And strengthen us to be in this world, your people, your presence. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who here knows what a touchstone is? Does that sound familiar? A touchstone. How many people? Well, I carry in my pocket almost every day a small little rock. Uh, that I received as part of a Lenten worship service during my time at seminary in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, The lesson for the worship service that night was uh, Peter's confession to Jesus when he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. This rock was given to those present as a reminder of that confession. The confession which Jesus said would be the rock upon which the church is built. This is the core of who we are, the core of our Christian worship. You, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so every time I reach in for my keys or pull out my chapstick or some change, my fingers find that rock. And through touching the stone, I'm reminded of that confession. I'm reminded of who and of whose we all are in Christ Jesus. And so that's what a touchstone is. Not necessarily a rock, but something that connects us with an event, a moment, a memory, a shared truth about the world around us. Through our senses, through, through taste, through sight, through touch, through hearing. We see them in our homes, in the mementos that we've kept from friends and family, either uh, who have been separated from us by distance or by death. These objects, they bind us to one another across space and time. They communicate something important about a lesson that we've learned through our shared experiences. We may have or use touchstones for various things, but what's common among them is that they connect us with a very specific event, a very specific moment, a very specific memory that conveys a very specific meaning, a very specific truth. Yes, those things are interpreted differently with time, depending on the way that the world is moving around us, but even still, that same truth is conveyed new and refreshed each and every day as we return to it. This is what God gave the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. In our first reading from Numbers, Israel was plagued by poisonous serpents because they had complained that God had brought them out of slavery from Egypt and sent them into the desert where they suffered uh, with lack of food, with lack of water, with lack of shelter. They complained that God had delivered them from slavery and were plagued then with poisonous serpents. But then God gave them a gift, a serpent lifted on a pole, a sign and a reminder of their suffering. 
a sign of the, the damage that sin does in our lives and a sign of the God who takes that sin away from us. The psalmist this morning uses song and poetry to connect the people with their shared history. Our psalm this morning in court encourages those whom the Lord has delivered to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Jesus gives us another touchstone of the faith in our reading from John 3 this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not die, shall not perish. But shall have eternal life. This is probably the most well known verse of Scripture, not only in all of Christianity, but throughout the world. It's been called a summation of the gospel, the greatest words spoken, which clearly and effectively communicates the nature of God, Jesus' mission here on earth, our relationship with God through faith, and the promise of an eternal complete, whole, and holy filled life. We see John 3.16 plastered on billboards, held up high on signs in parades or at sporting events, stitched on the back of clothing and stuck on the rear of the car bumper in front of us in traffic. So what does this verse of Scripture have to do with the lifting up of a serpent? We use John 3.16 as a touchstone of the faith to point us to what it means to be Christian, what it means to be a follower of God. Unfortunately, though, it appears that due to overuse, we and the world around us have lost a piece of our understanding about this verse, which ultimately waters it down and makes John 3.16 sound like empty words to a lot of people. But before we get into that, an observation. In my time uh, with you during the call process at the meet and greet here in August, some of you said that what we as a faith community need is to be equipped with the gifts and the power and the strength to communicate, to witness to the shared faith that we have with more than just our works with our words and the ways that we relate with other people throughout our day-to-day life. And identifying that need is important, not just for this faith community, but for the church as a whole. Talking about our shared faith, carrying on conversations with people about why we come to church, why we believe what we do, why this is important. Those are difficult things to share in the world that we're living in. In the workplace, at the store, where, wherever we run into people, it's almost scary to even mention our beliefs for fear of being fired or accosted for imposing ourselves on someone else. But most often, I would wager, when the opportunity does present itself, when, we're, when we meet people 
who are yearning to hear about the goodness of God with people who are encouraging one another to participate in conversations about what it means to be in a relationship with God. Odds are in those moments we turn to John 3.16 as a starting point, a way of getting the conversation kicked off. But in this world we live in where these words are so oversaturated, how do other people hear them? People who have been angry with God hear these words with bitterness and contempt. People who have memories of Christians treating them unfairly or acting in ways that do not reflect the love of God hear these words as an overinflated sales pitch. People who question God's loving kindness in their lives, who doubt God's presence for them. When they look at the world that is broken and hurting and suffering, hear these words as empty, maybe even a lie. And in some ways, maybe even the way we talk about John 3.16, maybe people are right to think those things. When we talk about God loving the world so much that he gave us Jesus, his only son, we immediately go to the cross. And in many respects, rightly so. But the way we talk about that, God gave his son to die for us. That doesn't sound like a loving God. God who would kill his own son. But returning to the text this morning, all that we have here is that in God's love, God sent Jesus to the world. God gave himself to us. So that those who would look upon him, who would trust in him, who would be in relationship with him, may share the blessedness of eternal life. We read that as God gave Jesus over to death. But all that it says, what it really says, is God gave Jesus to and for life. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he worked to heal the sick and suffering, to feed the poor, the hungry, the multitudes gathered on the hillside. He rebuked the powers of evil that plagued this world. It was that mission of life, of healing, of wholeness that caused others to look at him, to question their own power, to complain about what God was doing in him. It was this mission that bred their anger and prompted them to plot and kill Jesus. There's our connection with the serpent. The serpent lifted on a pole was a touchstone for the people of Israel. They were reminded of their sin and reminded of the God who invited them to turn to him for forgiveness. God had given the people of Israel freedom from slavery and they complained. God gave the world his son and we killed him. God didn't have a hand in that. Only when Jesus was lifted up, only when he bore the marks of this world's sin, of this world's shame, of our own wrongdoing, was the world able to see the depths to which God truly does love us. A love that endures Suffering that endures pain, that endures the sinfulness of this world as an innocent man 
to proclaim for us a word of love, a word of peace, a word of forgiveness, and yes, a word of judgment. And the judgment is this. John says that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness more because their deeds were evil. We, the people, destroyed God's gifts. But God has said to us, I will love you anyway. I will forgive you regardless. I will deliver you still. Jesus' own words in this passage Explain the nature of this deliverance. Those who believe, those who trust in the Son of Man, the one who was lifted up, the one who was exalted and glorified, the one who was crucified, those may have eternal life. Those who look upon the image of our own suffering, the one who bore the brunt of this world's sin and endured it for our sake, even to the point of death, those who look upon Him and trust In Him, we'll find healing and wholeness from God. Because in Him, God promises to deliver us from destruction and the effects of this world's brokenness. So when we meet people and try as best as we may to share why this gift of faith is important, our witness is this. You were dead in sin through the trespasses and the sins in which we once lived. As Paul has said in his letter to the Ephesians, but God, God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he has loved the world, even when we were dead in sin, has made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By God's grace, God's pure free gift, we have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's pure free gift. This is God's future for us. This is our touchstone, our reminder that when presented with the opportunity to share the goodness of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to say, no, we are not perfect. But by the grace of God, we're getting there. No, God is not angry with you. He raised Jesus from the dead for you. God's love can be made real for you in your life if you share in that goodness with others. Receive and trust in the promise of God's mercy for you. Share this walk with the fellow travelers you meet along the way. In Jesus, God is making us better than we once were. And we have the gifts here in this place to glimpse what that future is like. A font where our old selves die and are buried and raised to new life in Him. A table prepared for our sake. That along this journey we may be fed and nourished by the very love of God broken and shared for the entire world. And we have this cross present here in our assembly as a reminder of the depths to which God will go to to love us. This cross lifted high among us. An object of our worship 
a reminder of the God who came to us in Jesus Christ. A place to look, to go to God with all of our troubles in all of our griefs, griefs, in all of our brokenness. A place to look and be healed. In the name of Christ. Amen.